This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. It's a week of returns for Manchester City. First off, the Premier League is back and it's not the simplest of tasks with a trip to West Ham on Saturday. But also Pep Guardiola is back in the dugout, so could that have an impact on the performance? We'll discuss that game and get insights into how the Hammers have started this season in good form on today's show. City also returned to action in the Champions League on Tuesday. We'll hear from a Serbian football journalist to get the lowdown on Red Star Belgrade and find out exactly what awaits the team in their first group match as defending champions. Plus, later in the podcast, we'll hear from the former City goalkeeper and City in the Community ambassador Alex Williams as he announces he's stepping back from his role with the club's charity. We'll hear about his career, the racial discrimination he faced as one of the first black top-flight goalkeepers and the work he did after retiring from playing. I'm David Mooney. With me for this week's Blue Moon podcast, we've got City fan KC. You all right? And the Daily Mail's Jack Gorm. All right, David. How are you doing, Jack? You well? I have just left my sister's birthday party, 29th birthday party for this, so let's make it a good show. Oh, I'm honoured. I am honoured. I uh, I didn't realise that was your uh, prior engagement for this evening, so... Uh, no, no, neither did I till about six hours ago. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, uh, good. I'm glad to, glad to have you with us. Um, KC, you well? Yeah, I'm sound, yeah, not too bad. Good, good. Enjoying the start of the season? Uh, well, you know, I can't complain with all wins, can you, really? No, exactly that. Right. I, uh, well, I, I st- I st- I'll still find a way to complain, like, don't worry. Yeah, I was, I was banking on it, mate, banking on it. Yeah. Um, let's get into it. For the 2023-24 season, the Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised Manchester City fixture over the 23-24 season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to the local Green King pub and you'll get closer to the action. Green King Sports have just recently launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, which will be a home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. Drop them a follow and you won't just be the first to know about all of this. You'll be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. Um, Let's start then with the West Ham game for this week's show. And uh, we'll start by introducing James Jones from We Are West Ham. Hi, James. Evening, chaps. How are we? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Uh, Good start for the season for you as well. Uh, Three wins and a draw. You must have some confidence going into this one now. Uh, more confident than I ever have been going into a game against Man City in London. Um, I mean, normally you guys rock up at London Stadium and batter us about 5 or 6 nil. Um, But at the moment, I'm feeling quite confident. We've got, like yourselves, we've got European trophy in our back pocket. And um, we're unbeaten in the first four games of the season. So, yeah, relatively sort of quietly confident. I'm not going to go in there and say we're going to win, but I, I reckon we've got a chance of nicking a point. Yeah, it's a good feeling, that European trophy, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. I mean, a lot of people slag our, our one off, but um, it, it's a European trophy all the same. Yeah. No, I don't get that because like, if, you, if you're in the competition, you may as well try and win it. And that's exactly what you 100%. guys did. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm behind it all the way. Um, KC, for, for City on this one, uh, Burnley, Newcastle, Sheffield United, Fulham. It was, it's been a tricky, but... A kind opening start to the season, if that makes sense. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? It's been there's been tricky moments in those games, but games that you would expect City to win. At the same time, West Ham probably present a new test, don't they? Yeah, definitely. Like I think, um, obviously, barring Newcastle, and considering that we tend to start slowly under Pep, um, you know, because because of the way that he does his pre seasons, etc., uh, a bit different to most other managers. Uh, to give the players a rest, I think yeah you can't argue with 
with the way that we've started. Obviously, the the, the Sheffield uh, United game was a bit bit nervy, but um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think everyone should be pleased, um, and especially with that second half performance against Fulham, the way that we just uh, battered them. Um, after albeit after the fortuitous uh, goal that never should have been given to us <laughs> for our time, like, yeah, you take the rough with the smooth, mate. Take the rough with the smooth. Yeah, I oh, don't know it, mate. <laughs> Jack, for for this one for for City, obviously, uh, I said to KC there, it's a it's a new test, and it feels like um, you know, like James said, City like West Ham in a sense, but this is this feels like a different West Ham. Yeah, they've they've got. I don't know if James will be able to answer this better than me, but they seem to have more goal threat and seem to be a bit punchier this season already. Um, Bowen, Bowen is such a threat. And he, uh, has he got two or three goals already this season? Yeah, um, two. Th- two. There were calls for him to get in the England squad, um, particularly by my editor, who is a massive West Ham fan. Um, <laughs> in fact, I was at the England squad announcement the other week and I got an email from him going, why is Bowen not in it? I was like, I don't pick the team. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those, I think I have a brilliant campaign in the Premier League last year, did they? But it is, there is an element of that run in Europe can sort of carry over to the next season. They've started really well. I know they didn't sign a player for ages and ages and there were quite a lot of people asking where the, where the Declan Rice money had, was going, um, but they seem to have done some smart business by the end of the window and look like they did a couple of years ago. Look quite a tidy, um, tidy outfit. Yeah, James, how are you? How, how do you assess the business that you've done this summer? Uh, uh, by the end of it, we're we're all pretty pleased with it. Um, there was a, there was a worry about sort of three or four weeks after we'd sold Declan Rice and we hadn't still hadn't signed anyone. It was a bit like you know, like, what, what have you done with the money? Like where is it? Um, but. They've they've delivered, you know, bringing in James Will Prowse for th- only for thirty million quid, um, and Edson Alvarez and then Mohamed Kudos as well, like three really really strong signings that hundred percent improve our starting eleven. So West Ham fans are for once quite pleased with the window. The only downside is that we're going into another, at least six months of or at least four or five months of a season with Mikel Antonio as our striker which is just not sustainable, really. But he's had a good start to the season, so it's difficult to to give, uh, to give knock him completely. But um, that's the only downside, is that we haven't got a better striker than Antonio. Well, how old is he getting on a bit, isn't he? He's got to be about 32 now, I think, 33. Um, I mean, he's been around for 10 years uh, at the club, and he's done a great job, to be fair to him. Like, you can't, you can't knock him too much. But, like, you know, at his age and the fact that and we're trying to push on and be regulars in the top six, top seven in the Premier League. You need a more clinical goal scorer than someone who's scoring an average one every three games, one every four games. Uh, we're not asking for the next Erling Haaland, obviously, but you know you'd like to see us go and have a better strike option than Mikel Antonio or Danny Ings off the bench. Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting you say that because KC, I always think for when when City come up against Antonio, I always think like he's going to uh, score. Like, they, he always yeah. seems to score. But- yeah, I always think he plays well, especially like because obviously my first introduction. I remember like Sheffield Wednesday he was playing at right back, didn't they? Yeah. Like these years ago. So you think how far he's come on. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think uh, it does look like uh, the reason why I asked James there about his age. It just does seem like uh, it is catching up to him a bit. But was it about a year and a half ago? Two years ago, um, he couldn't stop scoring at one point, could he? 
during the COVID um, time, when it was all behind closed doors, he scored like four against Norwich, which I suppose at the time probably wasn't that difficult. But I think he scored like 14 goals in like 16 games or something silly like that. Um, and that was that was like his his only one real purple patch in ten years at the club. The rest of his goals have been relatively spread out over the course of eight, eight or nine, ten seasons. But you know, he is a handful for defenders, and he will still cause problems. He's had a good start the season, scored two goals, uh, two very well taken goals. But you know, it's not sustainable long term. And David Moyes, for some reason, of all the players in uh, on the planet, for some reason can't find a player better than him. Hmm. Um, Jack, for, for City, um, uh, I mean, James just mentioned Moyes there. Guardiola will be back in the dugout for uh, for City this weekend. Uh, will that make much of a difference? Uh, yeah, I think it will. I think I think it will, but I don't know why. Is that a good answer? Not really, but please do oh, elaborate. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I just, like, just, I don't know. Just having your boss there watching you is a bit, a bit different to having him sat in Catalonia with his feet up on the couch next to his son watching a TV and talking through AirPods to the backroom staff. I mean, it. I think it probably had more of an impact uh, in training this week than yeah. on Saturday, I would say. Um, apparently, they, they trained... They trained really well for the, for the couple of weeks. He, he wasn't there because they like... Um, obviously, Lilo has got... Um, Got loads of credit in the bank with them. The players love him. Uh, Vicenza has been there a long time, and uh, Bonaventura the same. So it, I don't know. It probably just adds a little bit of an extra edge to everything that they do having him having him there. But I, I mean, from a tactical point of view, I don't think there was. Well, there was no difference, was there? Um, during the Sheffield United and um, and Fulham games. Particularly, the, particularly Sheffield United was exactly how they would have played if Pep was there. It was very like sort of slow and methodical and controlling the game, and that's exactly what he would have wanted. And actually, I thought they played quite well against Sheffield United. Yeah, I know so, there did was, I. so did I. There was quite a lot of criticism from supporters, particularly online. Um, but yeah, I thought they, I thought they were really good. It was almost a carbon copy of when we played at Bramall Lane a couple of years ago, and we all, did we win one nil in the end or something? Kyle Walker, yeah, was that yeah. the one Kyle Walker? Because yeah. when he was lining when he was lining that shot up the other week, it was like, but he was going to do it again, same same spot, but no, he didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. KC, are you? I mean, Jack mentioned the reaction to the performance at Sheffield United. Um, I'm kind of expecting the same this weekend because there's there's absolutely no way Guardiola will want to give any incentive to West Ham in this game. So it, it'll be very much a case of certainly the first half. Like there'll, there'll be no chances taken, will there? I'll, I'd bite your hand off for any sort of gauge you win. To be brutally honest with you, um, I think especially you know when you see the way that West Ham played against Brighton, um, you know, they, it, it could could be a very, very uh, worrying test uh, this weekend um, with the players being away on an international break. You, you're never quite sure how they're going to come back, do you really, you know, once they've, once they've had that little break away. So, yeah, it could be a very dangerous game this weekend. Yeah. James, how do you expect uh, David Moyes to, to set up for it and go for it? Do you, do you expect, a, I mean, almost a carbon copy of that Brighton game? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm expecting. We're, we're, we've always under Moyes, we've always been a better team without the ball, um, and that's, that was evident in the Brighton win, evident in the Chelsea win the week before that. Um, the one thing that Moyes has done at West Ham is just made us a lot harder to beat, um, and that's evident in that you know when City before he was there, um, City used to come to London Stadium and score five goals every, almost every time. 
Um, and since Moyes has been in charge in his second spell, um, City have only won once at London Stadium, and that was last season, first weekend of the season. The other, yeah. the other games have been draws and then a defeat and on penalties in the League Cup. So he's made us harder to beat, um, and he's done that just by like defensively. We're just a lot more organised, uh, and then we just love catching teams on the counter attack. The problem is in games where we are expected to have the ball. That's when we we struggle in the final third, but that won't be a problem this weekend, obviously. So he'd be quite happy. The the, the direction will be let City pass the ball about and we'll catch them on the break. And like players like Bowen and Kudos on the other side as well um, use their pace on the counter-attack and see if we can get you. Yeah. Jack, how do you think City are dealing with uh, counter-attacks these days? Because you think of, of last season when when they made that switch to the setup of basically having four centre-halves as the, as the back four. It feels like they've got a lot more solid in dealing with those transitions. Yeah, they've eradicated it. Yeah. By the way, they play with the three and, the, and then the two in front. Um, he just... Yeah, he just he's just found a way of of making sure that they're the more um the more solid uh in dealing with those sort of transitional um bits of play. It'd be interesting I mean this is not deep analysis by me. Uh right, it's I fine. Don't we don't we don't we don't do deep analysis on I, this I don't show, really so do it's deep fine. analysis at all, do I to be honest, written or spoken. But um the it'd be interesting to see if a if a team were to attack them really wide, um I would be quite intrigued to see how that works with the with the three and the two and see if they can get if if someone manages to pull them apart. But the problem with that is that every team they play against defends so narrow that I don't know how they're able to then widen the pitch that yeah. quickly. In you can't order to you, really you can't Yeah, if you do stretch the pitch then then surely City just go, Thank you very much. Exactly. Yeah. But that I think that's probably the way, you know, that's probably the way to get at them if you're gonna be daring, which I mean, you, to be honest, from a neutral's perspective, which obviously I am, I w- you would hope that West Ham were a little bit daring on on Saturday and see it as a bit of a free hit, given the they've started the season so well. Well, I wonder why that's why they did go for Doku then, because obviously he's not like the rest of our wingers that we've gone for in the past couple of seasons, really, is he? If if a game does get stretched, then he can use his pace, whereas you know, not. <laughs> Not to um, say that they're particularly slow, but you know you don't really get that off Grealish or Bernardo, really, do you? No, I mean the other the other thing for for signing Doku uh, is they think they didn't think they had someone who could sort of perform the unexpected uh, against a team that plays in a low block. So like when they play at home, and you know the opposition's camped in their own in their own box, pretty much, and you're trying to sort of fight a way through. They think someone as tricky as Doku can can just do something out of the blue, which can change a game, which they didn't think they'd have before. Now, whether that transpires or not, I don't know. But from the brief bit we saw of him last week, he's quite good in tight spaces. Um, so that could be another, as well as the pace, because obviously the pace is a massive thing. And if if games do get stretched, then he's going to be a huge, huge asset. Yeah. Um, James for for West Ham uh, a little bit more broadly uh, this one now what uh, what what's the feeling from fans for this season what are you hoping to to achieve because obviously we mentioned um, you know winning uh, the Conference League last season uh, how do you build on that this year well I, the, uh, immediately it's improved on the league form last year obviously that was a, um, a bit of a black mark on our on our overall season was our league form finishing fourteenth um, so. Especially given the starts of the season, I think fans are now looking at game. Well, it's got to be at least a top ten finish. Um, but we've also now got another uh, our eye on the Europa League. You know, we're back in the Europa League, and last time we were in it, we got to the semi-finals. Should have probably gone on and won it. To be fair, 
So a, a top 10 finish and then another a good European run, um, I think will go down as has been seen as a good season. But now we've got one taste of a bit of silverware, first time in 43 years. I think fans are going, we wanted a bit more of that. doesn't matter if it's the League Cup. I know that's your trophy, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll have it. We'll have it. Um, if it's a League Cup, running the FA Cup, um, and also, like we've loved the last three, the, the last two years in Europe. We're about to go on a third one. We want to be in Europe every year. Like we've absolutely loved it every single moment, going home and away. And um, if we can qualify for Europe again, great. But if it's a cut run and uh, a top ten finish, I think we can look at that as going. Yeah, that's a good season for us. Yeah, um, Casey, for a city selection point of view, this uh, this weekend. Um, I mean, let, let's talk about the Gareth Southgate thing because uh, he wasn't having Foden centrally. Um, are you having Foden centrally for this weekend? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer. Um, I think uh, Southgate's probably... Obviously, he, you know, he, he got it right with the England-Scotland game, even though uh, I didn't watch it the other night. But by all accounts, uh, <clears throat> he got the selection right. But Foden can definitely play in the centre. He's been playing in the centre pretty much... Every time he's played this season, hasn't he? Um, and when he came on in the Champions League final, he was superb in the centre as well. I thought so. Yeah, I'd... Southgate talks some shite sometimes, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, ju- just a bit, a bit of a strange comment. I thought, but Foden's excellent on the wing. Wherever he plays, he's he's superb. Whether it's false nine on the wing in the middle, you know, you're not worried when you see his name on the team sheet, really. Yeah. Uh, Jack, though, the, the other side of, of what Southgate was saying, um, I don't think it's a million miles away from what Guardiola's been saying about Foden in terms of uh, the defensive responsibilities, is it? Yeah, they, they, but this is, the, this is the thing I don't understand about Foden. You know, you're talking about the way they, they set up with the, the three and the two. They've now got extra protection for the central midfielders or the guys that play centrally but further up. So... Uh, I'm not sure the defensive responsibility is quite the um, quite as imperative as it as it was for the, for those sort of players because they're basically playing as him and Alvarez are like tens behind Haaland now rather than eights and playing a bit deeper. Um, but the thing that I thought the thing about midweek about the Scotland game, he was playing in the middle anyway. He was mm. playing off. He was playing off the centre or off the right or whatever you want to call it. But he was getting he was getting involved in the in the centre of the pitch. Which just seemed so strange, given that the manager had said twenty four hours earlier that he can't play in the middle. When clearly the game plan was to was to get him to get him in those areas quite a lot. Which, as KC said, he's done he's done for his club this this year so far, and pretty much exclusively played there in the running when he was coming on and impacting games at the back end of last season. Um, and then, well, I mean, he didn't do too badly in Champions League final in the middle, did he? No, no. He um, nearly scored goal of the season. Yeah, I still think about that chance, you know. Yeah, yeah, bit, <laughs> honestly. You'd think about it more if we lost, though. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talked about yelping quite a lot on this podcast over the years, but that was one of those, if that, I was, if that had gone in, that would have been a that would have been a press box yelp, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, James, when you hear us talking about our dilemmas of uh, players that may or may not be available, what, what, honestly, what do you think, given that, you know, we're talking about uh, whether Foden should play centrally or on the wing? And, you know, we've not even mentioned Haaland, Alvarez, Grealish might be back in the, t- in the, in the side available this weekend. Like, how, how do you feel going into these sorts of games? Uh, not jealous at all, lads. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, going, you know what to expect when you come up against um, Man City. You know, you've got uh, not just a, an 11 of world-class players, you've got an entire squad, probably even two, two 11s to be fair. Um, so you know what to expect, but we've got a handful of world-class players, one of which you were trying to buy off us only a few weeks ago. Um, so, you know, we, we're getting there as well. We've got we've got our own bit of quality. Um Lucas Paqueta, I think, will will probably have a little bit to prove this weekend as well, I think, given that deal um, fell through because of probably through his own fault. We haven't really found out whether he's guilty or not yet. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I am slightly jealous of the quality, particularly in, in, in the striker department. Um, but we've got quality as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, let's, let's talk a little bit about those uh, potential deals because, obviously... Um, you did lose Declan Rice, but it was to Arsenal and not to City. Um, and then uh, Pakatar, uh, that deal fell through. Um, yeah. What's what? What was the what was the mood around the Arsenal um, Arsenal City kind of ding dong for for Rice? Oh, do, you know, do you know what? Um, I'm still in complete. I'm just confused as to why he's chosen Arsenal. Um, he had a, he, you know, if he'd have made it clear that he wanted to he, he did make it clear that he wanted to go and win trophies for the rest of his career and West Ham fans were like yep go ahead and go and do it you deserve it and you should be playing the Champions League um, and he's chosen to sign for a club that yes okay they're playing in the Champions League but they're not going to win it all they're not going to win the Premier League um, they're, they're, they'll fight for the Premier League but I don't think they're going to win it and they're not going to win the Champions League they couldn't win the Champions League with Thierry Henry they're not going to win it with, with Declan Rice so it, it it baffles me. It baffles every West Ham fan. It's like, why have you chosen Arsenal when you could have gone to Man City and literally just won everything you wanted to win? Um, he's been saying it for two years. I want to go and win it all, and he's chosen a team that will not win it all. It's a stepping stone club for him, I think. Um, and it's it's disappointing that he's chosen a London rival to to do that. If I'm honest, do you think broadly like Rice would have been a good fit? I don't know, you know. I don't know how he would have. I wasn't fit, really I, yeah, I don't know how he would have fitted fitted in. But ultimately, I have confidence that Guardiola like solves these sorts of issues. He might. He, he just finds a way, doesn't he? I know, but it's just that is so annoying, though, isn't it? Like the answer to everything about City is, <laughs> like, oh, well, Pep will find a way. I was like, there's no point in doing these shows, is there? Because all right, like, fine. Well, we'll end could, it there then. They could they could play me as a centre midfielder and he still find a way. I mean, let's 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 not be that generous. So. <laughs> I think he would have been one of the two in sort of maybe the, you know, next to Rodri. And he would have changed the shape a bit, just similar to what Stones was doing last year. I think he probably eyed him up for that sort of role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I did, like, two slight issues I had with with that when I was thinking about it over the summer. The first one is I like Stones moving into that position because I think he opens the game up. Um, and actually it's probably got a better range of pass well definitely got a better range of passing than Declan Rice and the second thing is if Rice was to play in there I don't know whether I, I might be being unduly harsh here but I don't know whether he, he would be able to progress a game in possession quickly enough and well enough for the way City want to play uh, well, I was I was, I was going to say he did it against United but that's United and that's shite I don't think so <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, just on the midfield, Jack, um, we'll find out kind of on Friday whether uh, Kovacic is available, I guess, because uh, Guardiola will do his press conference. He might be injured. Um, what does City do in his absence? Because he's played every game so far. Well, it's cute of you to think that Guardiola is going to give any sort of team news away uh, <laughs> in a press conference, but fair enough. Um, uh, you, you Sometimes you go in and don't ask him the questions. Uh, how many how many times have we walked out of that press conference room and gone? Actually, I don't know if anybody's injured or not because nobody. Yeah, because we normally leave it to certain individuals, don't we? To ask about <laughs> team news, which is not me, um, and then they might forget. Uh, yeah, I, well, I mean, they've got they might have a few issues on on Saturday because Kovacic, Grealish, and Stones didn't train on uh, today, i.e., Thursday. So you'd think they're going to be struggling for Saturday. So it sort of picks itself, doesn't it? I think. In a, you mean the eleven fit ones start, just start? And that's well, it. yeah, that's the thing, and they haven't even got any kids to bring on because they got rid of them all. Um, so you'd have to go, yeah, you'd be going Alvarez, uh, Alvarez, Foden, Silva, Doku in behind Harland, I think, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. You see, now you said that, it will start Oscar Bob and McAtee, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I can guarantee you that's not happening, mate. <laughs> Yeah. Uh James, we're gonna uh we're gonna move on shortly, but we're gonna have the charity bet a bit later on in the show. So um what will be your score prediction for that when we get to it? It will be uh, I'm gonna go to all. Uh, I think we're we're good enough for a point in this game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we, we, we did lose, but um I'm gonna go to all. I'm gonna remain optimistic. Good. Well, uh, we'll put that on for you a bit later on. But uh, for now, James Jones from We Are West Ham, thank you very much for being part of the show today. Cheers, guys, always a pleasure. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Now, time to have a look ahead to the midweek game. I've been speaking to Serbian journalist Nabojka Markovic to find out what City can expect from Red Star Belgrade. I started by asking how things were going for them this season. Generally, things are going well. I mean, um, the, the the loss that they actually had in the, in the domestic competition is something that would uh, make them feel un- uncomfortable. They're not used to uh, losing matches early in the season and uh, especially they're not used to being to not being uh, top of the league because they're currently just uh, slightly trailing. Uh, thanks to that loss to, to Vojdovac, which uh, was a surprise, a big surprise. Uh, they they fell in a 3-0 deficit quite quickly. And it was one of the matches that uh, I have the feeling is actually good for them. Um, it is good for them to kind of see that uh, they cannot just stroll around, even though they, they are by far the best Serbian team in our league and... Uh, they're uh, overwhelming favorites to to, to win uh, their seventh championship in a row. So, uh, but it's a, it's a good match for them in terms of keeping them on their toes and you know reminding them that they have to go um, 
full strength in, in, in every single match. So, uh, yes, they're not top of the league. They, they kind of had that one result that they did not expect, but uh, that can be a, a positive thing for them. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, in terms of, of a style of play, um, how, how, how do Red Star normally play? And will, will that be the same approach that, that they take against Manchester City, do you think? It's going to be interesting to see because uh, historically uh, they would play in the Serbian league in a much different manner because uh, they're just so much stronger than than all the other teams. And, uh, you know, they're always uh, attacking, 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 scoring loads of goals. But in European competitions, they always have to adapt depending on the opponent. And, uh, you know, we it's, it's the safest thing to say that they are not going to play in the same manner against Manchester City, especially because, you know, we know what kind of team uh, City are. Uh, and But it's going to be really interesting because this time um, there could be some surprises, mostly because of the the, the fact that Barak Bachar is the, the new coach, the Israel, Israeli coach who, who joined this summer from after leaving Maccabi Haifa, where he did some great things. And last season, he actually eliminated Red Star from from the qualifiers, uh, playing some uh, really nice uh, football. And they were also tactically very strong against Red Star. They they reached the Champions League. So um, it's uh, Red Star kind of went uh, all in this summer, uh, bringing him, but also bringing lots of new players uh, and spending a lot of money. And I mean, unusual amounts of money for, for a Serbian club. So um, maybe Bahar can... Um, make uh, some adjustments that maybe fans would not expect but uh, generally uh, they they often play with uh, with three at the back and that's something that uh, he has uh, been doing recently and uh, changing during these early parts of the season because he's obviously uh, wanting his team to be able to um, adapt to a position and to be um, to, to, to dominate but also to be quick in, in transitions so um against manchester city maybe uh we should not expect too many uh too many um surprises but uh it's just the fact that uh, he's not the coach that we know as well as we knew some previous coaches who were you know domestic coaches so we we they were kind of more predictable in that sense yeah um who are the players that um if red star are going to get something from from the etihad uh, who are the players that'll do it for them yeah, this is actually a, an, an interesting question because Red Star uh, spent a lot of money this summer. Uh, they've uh, they've recently, in the final days of uh, of the the transfer window, they brought in uh, Hwang In Boom, uh, the South Korean midfielder who who played for Olympiakos, and he is the uh, the the most expensive uh, signing in the history of Serbian football. Uh, but uh, they also brought. Uh, a center forward, uh, Sheriff Ndi, who who came from Turkey, and he's uh, one of those players that uh, Red Star really had to, um, you know, pay plenty to in order to lure him to, you know, to bring him in. But also, um, Red Star fans will maybe hope to see the best from uh, Jean Philippe Cresso, who who joined from Saint Etienne from France, and he he was a very very interesting signing in these. Early matches, uh, Red Star also played a friendly match in Belgrade against Fiorentina, and they they thrashed him, uh, thrashed Fiorentina five 0 in the first half, which was uh, really unexpected. And that was the match which uh, showed Barak Bahar what what he has on, at disposal and 
that this team could actually, you know, be really interesting to watch in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, what uh, What do you think Red Stars' uh, ambitions will be for the Champions League uh, this season, given uh, given the group, obviously with City, but uh, with Leipzig and, and Young Boys as well? Well, I think their primary uh, goal is going to be finishing third in the group. Uh, obviously, they're going to try and fight for, for the second place, but uh, considering the strength of, of Manchester City and Leipzig, that's obviously not the easiest task. But uh, considering that they're coming from part, uh, part three and that they're kind of uh, expected to do better than young boys, then um, they will have two uh, header, you know, a double header with, with young boys. And if you win like four or six points in those two matches, you're in a really, really strong position in, in this group where you, you're not going to really expect in advance for Red Star and Young Boys to get too many points off of uh, Man City or Leipzig. They might, you never know. But uh, when you're kind of um, looking in advance what could happen in the group, you would, you would think that those two matches against Young Boys can um, can be the, the you know deciding uh, in terms of the fighting for Europa League. And I think everyone at Red Star would be would be happy with uh, with uh, such an outcome. Um, this group is maybe not the most attractive one in terms of uh, away games or you know Leipzig are uh, a really efficient team, but they're not uh, the likes of. Uh, Real Madrid, who could who could have come like from the from part two, so um, it's it's an interesting group and one where Red Star can actually do something. It's just going to be really tough in those uh, four matches to to maybe earn some points when they are not playing young boys. Yeah, um, and obviously just looking ahead to uh, the second game, uh, the meeting in in December. Um, what uh, what can City fans expect uh, from from going to Belgrade in, uh, in in December? What will conditions be like there? Well, it, it it's going to be interesting, and uh, one thing that is very important is that that is the last game of the group stage, so we will know plenty of things by then, and whether Red Star have any chances to progress or not. Um, it, it's going to be uh, really interesting, and you know, maybe everyone at at Red Star, maybe like fans, would would hope that Man City have like five wins by then, so that they maybe send out like a a, a slightly weaker team. But that's all like uh, speculation right now. Uh, in terms of the atmosphere and everything, I think uh, Man City fans will be you know very happy to see uh, something really different from uh, from Premier League matches. It's it's definitely going to be. Uh, a vibrant stadium uh, with a full, like a uh, packed stands with uh, 50,000 people in there. Um, so uh, it's an atmosphere that has, uh, you know, that has been kind of lost in, in Western European leagues. Um, but uh, Red Star fans are known for uh, making um, a great atmosphere, great, great uh, choreographies of, you know, in the stands. So, uh, it's going to be very interesting and the fans are definitely going to be motivated to to show uh, their best in front of the current European champions. You know, you, we all know that Red Star were former uh, European champions, so it's uh, it's going to be a nice clash and the fans will definitely make uh, make the occasion even better. So uh, in in such an atmosphere Red Star managed to to beat Liverpool uh, some years ago 2-0 Jurgen Klopp's side. So um, you know, uh, miracles can happen in such a stadium. It's not that everyone's going to expect them, but uh, it is a possibility always. 
Yeah. Uh, well, Nabosha, we've got uh, a charity bet coming up uh, later on in the show. So uh, what's, uh, what would your score prediction be for uh, this first meeting between the teams? Well, <laughs> I, it's, it's not the easiest prediction to make. I think that, uh, you know, a, 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 every um, fan of Red Star would say any any score that is not the loss. But uh, I think that uh, if, if Red Star come out and, you know, play a good game and even if they lose, but not by too many goals, that they will uh, feel good about themselves. Because we know that Man City is a team that can, uh, you know, score six goals past any side. Uh, so uh, maybe... Um, Maybe they can count on maybe uh, Man City, you know, uh, underestimating them and, you know, being too, um, uh, not, not getting so strong right off the bat. But uh, that's that's hard to expect from a Pep Guardiola team. So uh, any result that is not uh, uh, too big of a goal difference would uh, make Red Star feel good about themselves, especially if they show something during the game, even if they do not necessarily score or or get a point or something like that um let's say uh 3-1 for man city this is the blue moon podcast follow us on twitter at blue moon podcast that was Serbian journalist Nabojska Markovic. Um, KC, it's nice to have a couple of new opponents for the Champions League group stage isn't it and not Shatsar Donetsk yeah, I, th- I think it is especially so with um, you know some of my close mates that that go that are going on the European trips. Um, you know, he says not jealous, not not in any any jealousy at all. Um, being an old uh, married family man, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of uh, the excitement of uh, of the lads that I know that are going away and getting uh, trips to new places. Yeah. Yeah, Jack. It's uh, we talked briefly about the squad size a bit earlier on. Um, now is when the season starts to kick off. So, how well equipped do you think City are to balance all of this? Oh, I don't know. Pep will find a way, won't he? He'll sort it out. I I say it every year. I think it's too. I think the squad's too small. Uh, and every year I'm proven wrong. So is that because um, Pep just finds a way though? That's the yeah, thing. yeah. I mean, I mean, seriously, the big the big thing they had last year was. They managed the injuries really well last year. I think, to be honest, I think that was the one thing that really helped them go all the way and finally do what they were threatening to do for years and years in the way that they kept everyone fit and fresh. And they mm. there was no sort of freak injuries with them. Obviously, they've already had the the De Bruyne one this year, and as I said before, sort of knocks are like piling up already. So yeah, I don't know. It's going to be they're going to want to get the group done ASAP so they can, yeah, so, so they've topped that group and then they can play well. whoever yeah. in the in the final games. But then, but then, but we've said that in previous years, haven't they, where they've, they've won the group with ease and then they've gone, and I remember when they played Leipzig in the group stage a couple of years ago and they'd won the group and then they went with a full strength team. Walker got sent off. Drew the game, Walker got sent off, missed the, missed the round of 16, um, matches so you can never really you can never really predict him and the other thing is they haven't they haven't got that second rung of squad player this year I don't think Um, you know with McAtee going Sheffield United Palmer obviously leaving as well I don't know it feels light to me but again it's 
it seems the same most years and they they always seem fine. So I don't know. It'd be the the one thing would be interesting is the team they play in the Carabao Cup. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the, the the other side of this KC is we there's the Club World Cup to come a bit later on as well that postpones a few games, but also the the next round of the Carabao Cup will, could well be the day before they they play a game in that. There's there's almost a sense of like it, it's just getting through it at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I bet Calvin Phillips is is uh, proper looking forward to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because aside from him, really, he's going to he's like like Jack said, he's he's pretty much going to have to go full strength for pretty much everything because of the knocks like like we talked about the team this weekend pretty much picks itself uh the team against Fulham that was pretty much the only team he could pick really Newcastle was the same so um yeah it's a bit of a strange one I know you know you don't want to be moaning when we've got you know an embarrassment of riches and in the quality of players that we've got but yeah we certainly don't have um as deep a pool of talent as other teams seem to have it in the in the head that we do. Yeah, um, just on the the group later on, Casey. Um, I, I, like Jack says, it's probably a good idea to get it wrapped up early because uh, you look at the fixtures. Uh, Leipzig drops in before Arsenal away. Uh, Young Boys drops in between Brighton at home and United away. Uh, the games between Chelsea away. There's there is games between Chelsea away, Liverpool at home, Spurs at home. It's looking like autumn could there could be a really tough autumn there. Yeah, but what you're forgetting is that Pep finds a way. <laughs> I think I think that's that's a line that's just going to come back to bite me, isn't it? All the time. I, t- I tell you what the 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 young boy. Oh no, actually, both the Leipzig away and young boys away. They've done all right with the dates of those games. They're both on a Wednesday, so they've got Arsenal away and United away after those two. But they're both on Sundays. Yeah. Whereas I think in previous years. They've played Saturdays, haven't they? And the United, United away is usually Saturday lunchtime. Oh, it always feels like it's Saturday lunchtime. I certainly the Bernardo one was Saturday. When I say the Bernardo one, I mean the one where where he where nobody but David de Gea knew that he'd scored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Bernardo one, I immediately thought of that League Cup screamer. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. He likes a goal at Old Trafford, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I know, I know what you mean, Jack. It's, um, it's, it's kind of any kind of any extra minutes they can get between games. I guess is a is a blessing. Um, mm. But you're right. It's 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 kind of important just to not mess the group up because, like every year, we say you've got you have leeway in the group and there's no jeopardy in the group because you know if you if you lose your first game, you're still probably going to finish top by winning the others. But it, it's kind of important not to do that this year. Yeah, I, although the. For the Club World Cup, just looking forward to it, um, they're only they've only got one game postponed, haven't they, in the Premier League? Yeah, is it Brentford? Which is crazy that they've only got one. So they've got that. Well, how, got that. how many how many games would they play in the Club World Cup? Uh, two, two. Played semi semi finals and final, or semi finals and third fourth. Yeah. God, I don't want to be there for the third fourth place playoff. Jesus, that'd be grim. <laughs> Three days before Christmas. All right, lads. Yeah. Enjoy not for, it. Not for me. But the, yeah, I only miss, only having the Brentford game postponed. It seems incredible, really, that they're travelling halfway across the world to go and play a, play a tournament. But they've really crammed it in. I suppose they could have, I guess they could have asked for the Palace game, which I think is on the 16th, which would be two days before they fly or a day before they fly. I guess they could have asked to have that 
postponed as well, but have chosen not to. It's that I mean, is there an argument that um, it it kind of it, it's an opportunity just to just deal with it now and like not kick that can down the road and, and congest the end of the season? Yeah, because I think so. Because it, you know it's going to get to February, March, and they they'll certainly be in three competitions, won't they? If not, if not four, depending on what they decide to do in the in the Carabao Cup. So yeah, you get to you know those the Brentford game and the Palace game if if they'd asked for it would have been would have been February time and then it starts getting congested and that's when the the injuries really pile up. Um or and if you and, do obviously didn't last year. Yeah, and if you get into trouble early in the season you've got time to rescue it. Whereas if you if you drop points in the running then that's it, you're kind of yeah. on your arse, aren't you? I mean the thing is about the thing about this the start of the season, I I might be wrong and we could have done with Adam popping up for 10, 15 seconds here. But I think if they win on Saturday, they have the chance to, certainly in Premier League history, I think they've got the chance to record the best ever start to a league season. I don't think they've, I don't think they've won seven games on the trot at the start of a season in the Premier League. Well, it was like, what what, was it Walker that was making those comments saying that they actually wanted to get ahead this year? Yeah, he was, which I I thought that I thought the way also the way he said it as well he said it with like real feeling um, it was like we we don't we don't want to be playing catch up to anyone we don't win the he, he was effectively saying we don't win the leagues well enough which I was like Jesus Christ <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose that's the I suppose that is the that's the beauty of the of the squad and the and the leaders they've got within the within the group that set. This is this is how and why they win these leagues or yeah. win all these titles because they set themselves new challenges every year. Yeah. So I've just had a look. the The one season I thought might have they might have won seven in a row at the start was uh, Mancini's title uh, 11-12. 11-12, yeah. yeah. But they drew uh, with Fulham in the uh, fifth game, and then they won seven in a row after that. So it was, and then 17-18. Yeah. They'd drawn with Everton in the second it, game. It was the second yeah. game, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so you might be right. Well, uh, we'll check with Adam and uh, and find out a bit later on, I guess. Yeah, um, don't tell anyone else because I might write about that. Okay, well, uh, you better get you better get cracking because this is going out. Uh, this will go out as soon as I finish recording it. So, uh, yeah, get typing. Um, Casey, just as a final thought for the uh, for the Red Star game, we've barely talked about it actually. Um, but like, is it possible for the team to be any different to, to West Ham on Saturday, or like, can you can you find a way to to get a few a bit of rest here and there? I, I can't see it at the moment with the way that the knocks are. I think you, I reckon at least nine or ten of the team that play at the weekend will be starting against Red Star. Um, it's reality at the moment. Well, let's get your predictions then. Uh, still no wins since the Community Shield so far on the charity bet. So let's try and change that now. We're in two games a week territory as well. So William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on each of City's games. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. We're on £65 for the season so far. Uh, we heard earlier on that James has gone for a two-all draw in the West Ham City game. Uh, that is to 16-1 and £160 if he's right. Jack, what are you having for this? Uh, City 2-1. Uh, City 2-1, uh, a tight game is 8-1 to one and £80. KC, are you going to break with tradition? What's yours? Uh, yeah, no, you, you know, it's 6-1. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 6-1. Uh, but, um, like, due a 6-1, not had one in a while. Uh, if the uh, if it comes in, 90-1, uh, to one, 900 quid if you're right. So, uh, fingers crossed. Can I assume that you're doing the same for Red Star? 
Uh, I, I am. I was tempted to throw a spanner in the works, because, you know, with your pre-preps uh, odds and everything. But no, I am going six more. Excellent. That's twenty-eight to one and two hundred and eighty quid. Uh, if you're right there, um, we heard uh, Naboisha say uh, he thinks City will win three-one. That's eleven to one and one hundred and ten pounds. Jack, what are you having? Four-nil. Uh, 4-0 is 7-1 to one and £70 if you are right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and please gamble responsibly. If you'd like information on responsible gambling, then head over to begambleaware.org. Uh, we're going to finish this week's show with an interview, so we're going to say goodbye to the guests for this episode now. So thank you very much this week to Jack Gorn. Thank you, mate. And Casey. Pleasure, boys. Cheers. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And now it's been a bit of a whirlwind few weeks for one former Manchester City player. Depending on your age, Alex Williams is either best known for his significant role working with the club's charity arm, City in the Community, or he's the top flight's first regular black goalkeeper breaking into the City team in the 1980s. I've caught up with him this week to discuss his career as he takes a step back from some of his work, starting with what the last week has been like. Quite hectic. It's uh, hectic in a very positive and nice way. I've had some nice presents from the football club. There was a presentation from Fran Soriano and head of the foundation, Mike Geary, um, just prior to uh, the last home game. So that was nice. I've got a nice shirt with 33 years on it and some nostalgic pictures at the bottom all framed. Um, you know, I've done podcasts, I've done Sky Sports, BBC Northwest. So um, I've never been so popular. <laughs> I wasn't as popular when I was there full time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, what what was it like? Um, I mean, because I mean, you didn't know you were getting the pitch named after you. So, what what was it like when you found out all the all the kind of all the details that were coming with it? Yeah, they kept it a secret from me. Um, it was a pitch at the training complex, which uh, I'm not sure of the history and why, but it's a blue astroturf pitch, uh, and it's predominantly for usage for community use through CITC, in the community, the foundation. And it was just always called the Blue Pitch. So uh, in some ways, I think I've made it a little bit easier now because it's got an actual name. So uh, the Alex Williams pitch. But it's nice because there'll be a lot of kids using it and potentially there'll be some stars for the future even playing on there. Let's let's talk a bit about um, kind of how you got to that point Um, because I'm I'm interested in, in your story because how does a young lad who, you know, born in Moss Side, grew up in Levensume, end up playing at Main Road? Um... Well, I was born in Moss Side, but my parents moved quite quickly to Levensume when I was brought up as a kid. So I was probably about two, three when I, we moved to Levensume. Um, and I just got playing for the school team, local junior football teams. Um, one day a chap called Steve Fleet came along to see me and um, just said, would I like to come down to two nights a week to do a bit of training at City? And as a kid, you, it was a dream come true. And... Obviously, the rest is history, but it was initially with Steve Fleet, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, what what was what was it like moving from... Because you're playing football on the street, you're playing yeah. football, you yeah. know, with, with mates at school. How yeah. how How is that step up? Well, the, the first thing is you, you sort of de- detach from your friends because um, I was now training with the elite young footballers in Manchester two nights a week at Main Road. Um, 
you know, and I, in some ways I couldn't really play regularly with my old friends in case I got injured or whatever. Um, so you do start, even at that early age, you get pulled away from your friends and your life's never the same after that. And the higher you go in professional football, um, it sounds really strange, the less friends you have because uh, this, you can't do this, you can't do that. You tend to socialise with uh, other players and wives and friends. And uh, it is a strange world, but one you get used to quite quickly, especially because of the rewards. What do you remember of your debut against West Brom? Yeah, great day, March 1981. I turned up. I had an idea I might play, but John Bond announced the team about two hours before. So it was only then I actually knew I was in. Um, the good thing about it was I didn't have time to be nervous because uh, it was, you know, you think two hours before a game, but it goes so quickly. You go out for a warm up, you have a chat with the lads, you prep yourself, and before you know it, it's five to three and you're running out. Uh, in the old days, the old Main Road Stadium, as you came out of the tunnel, you were running out towards the Kipax, which was on the far side. So once you got halfway down, the fans could see the players' legs sort of running towards them, and then, of course, the cheer goes up. Um, but it was a great feeling. What's that, what's that like? That, for the first time, you run out in front of that. Oh, it was amazing, and I was well-received, as with all the other players. Um, but about the game, I remember somebody having a header, and I back-pedalled and tipped it over the bar. Uh, in front of the North Stand, so that made me feel really relaxed, and we went on to win the game two one. What did uh, What did Joe Corrigan say ahead of the game? Because he was injured, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was great. He just told me to go out, relax, and enjoy it. I didn't know at the time, but my parents turned up unbeknown to me. I didn't tell them to go. I didn't sort the tickets out, and Joe Corrigan saw them trying to get in, and actually got him a couple of tickets and ended up getting him into the players' lounge after the game. So it was only after the game when I went into the players' lounge and I actually was got man of the match for the game. Uh, I saw my parents in there. Other than that, I didn't know they were there. What was that like? Well, the moment you realised that, they that they'd seen it all? I was pleased they'd seen it all, but I was glad I didn't know they were there because, you know, I had enough on my mind trying to keep going and, you know, wondering how the game was going to go. The last thing I would have wanted was to be worrying if my mum and dad were OK or... You know, if I made a mistake, the fans were having a go at me. And, you know, I know my dad was always uh, quite a big person and he wasn't a physical person, but obviously if somebody shouts something about your son, you're going to get upset. So I just didn't want him in that situation. So I, I was just glad I didn't know he was there. Yeah, I was reading that your mum and dad weren't, were not into football, didn't care about football? Um, not so much that they didn't care, but they didn't understand the process and the systems. So when I told them I was I joined City and I was going to Man City to do some training, uh, and I smile when I say this because at the time we probably weren't much better. They probably thought it was a local pub team. <laughs> um, which was really, really helpful because uh, later on in life I ended up being one of the academy goalkeepers and I could see the pressure a lot of the young kids were under uh, through the parents' peer pressure. Because if a child today, especially today, makes it as a professional footballer, the financial rewards are such that not only is it a way out for the child, it's also a way out for the parents as well. And, you know, you can see them shouting at the kids to pass it here and do this. And the kids have just got to be left to, uh, to their own devices to play the game themselves. Yeah. What when it when it came to kind of being on the ground? We've talked briefly a bit, a little bit about the abuse yeah. you faced. Yeah. Um, there was there was a there was a line in the book that um, I, I'm not sure if it's I'm not sure if it's a sad thing or not that yeah. that you can't that that you weren't keen on your mum and dad seeing that. Um, no, I wasn't. I, as I said, because I think if any parent 
is watching their young son or daughter perform, whether it's a football or a school play or anything, and they're getting abused, most of them will react. And I, I just didn't want to put my mum and dad in that situation because it was so hard as well. Because not only potentially you get abused because you were playing poorly, there's then the added factor of being a black goalkeeper as well, which unfortunately, you know, people don't have boundaries and they, they'll overstep what they say. Um, you know, and, and even in today's society, if I, you know, example, if I'm driving a car and I do something silly, someone calls me an idiot, I don't have a problem with it. If somebody personalises it, then I have a problem with it. So um, that's the sort of person I am. And I just didn't want to put my mum and dad through that if I didn't have to. Yeah. And um, I mean, the other side of this is there's not many City players that make their debut in red. No, um, <laughs> first and foremost, prior to that, there's not many professional footballers who actually end up playing for the team they support. So that was just a massive bonus for me. I, uh, you know, as a kid, I went to City one week, United the next, because me and the friends were United fans. But I just had an allegiance when I went to Manchester City. So to play for the club I supported, and then uh, West Brom played in uh, green and yellow uh, vertical stripes. So it meant I couldn't play my green goalkeeper jersey. And the away one we had at the time was a red uh, goalkeeper's jersey. So first black goalkeeper playing in a bright red uh, goalkeeper's top was pretty strange there is a picture of me somewhere after the game when I've got my hands up and all the shirt is full of mud because the pitches in those even in March uh, you know they were, they were pretty ropey so let's um, let's kind of go through your career at, yeah. at City because uh, obviously Joe Corrigan is yeah. the number one you yeah. come in and deputise from, yeah. from time to time um, you missed out on the squad for the, the cup final in, uh, in 81 I did yeah I was a bit disappointed with that only because um they normally take two goalkeepers and I was the only other goalkeeper. So I presumed prior to the squad being announced that I'd be in it uh, and I wasn't. So one, it was a shock. Two, I think, well, what happens to Joe Corrigan if he gets injured? What happens then? So that was the second thing. And thirdly, they got a, a lovely new Wembley suit and they got a big bonus. So I think that had more to do with me not being in the squad rather than uh, the ability. I think they wanted to probably give the the extra suit or bonus to one of the outfield players who were more senior to me. So that was probably uh, the thinking behind it. Fortunately, Joe didn't get injured with two great games against Tottenham. But ironically, after that cup final, the league following season, the league game away at Tottenham, Joe was injured and I played and we beat Tottenham 2-1. It was probably the greatest display I had in six years. So I always think to myself, you know, if I'd have been in the squad or John Bond would have picked me, who knows? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. you never know, do you? Yeah. Might, might have been an FA Cup winner's yeah. medal I don't tell on. John Corrigan <laughs> that, no. Yeah, but maybe, yeah. yeah. I'd hate to bring up this yeah. particular memory, but um, Luton yeah. on the final day. Yeah. Um, tell, tell me about that. How did it go down? Uh, <laughs> it was a strange day because all season we'd struggled a bit, but we'd never been in the bottom three at any point. And uh, all we needed was a point and we just went out and played the game as we normally do. Never in our wildest dreams did we ever thought we'd get beat. Um, they had uh, a young goalkeeper, um, well, did have a young Tony Gordon, I think, was played for him. But um, about 10 minutes before the end of the game, they brought on a lad called Radian Tish, who uh, was brilliant at dead ball kicks, corners, free kicks, penalties. The ball came over and I punched it clear and it dropped at his feet and he hit a perfect half volley right to the bottom corner. Uh, it's about seven, eight minutes to go and we just not enough time to pull it back. So it was just unbelievable when the final whistle went. There was deadly silence around the ground and we 
walked off with our hands in our heads. Everyone was dead upset. And I just remember David Pleat running across the pitch with those white shoes on. Uh, we sat in the change room afterwards for about an hour. No one said a word and we just couldn't believe we'd been relegated. Um, terrible, terrible day. For me personally, obviously disappointed, very disappointed we got beat and I let the goal in. But I'd never felt it. Was, the goal was my fault because coming back to what I just said about Steve Flea, I was positive coming out through a crowd of players, punching it clearly, just fell to him and of all the people to fall to. Uh, and I, As I got up off the ground, I got, actually got up and got my fingers to the shot and Kevin Bond said afterwards, had I not touched it, he was on the line and it was coming to him, but I'd seen Kevin Bond's uh, footwork and I would have liked to have relied on that. You but can, I you can never take that chance. I do, I I do joke about you can't leave it, hoping somebody else, it, my job's to stop it. And, uh, you know, between the two of us, it went in, unfortunately. But um, very sad day, yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, following that relegation against Luton, um, you'd established yourself as number yeah. one. You were, you were in the team. Yeah. Um, what what was it like then? Was there different pressure then trying to win promotion? Is, is there a different pressure the, that comes with that? There was, and it was very difficult because everywhere we went, it was everybody's cup final. Um, you know, oh, we're playing against Manchester. So everybody raised the game, so it was really tough. I ended up playing two consecutive seasons after the Luton game without missing a match. So I played something in the region of about 88, 90 games without missing one. And the year we actually ended up getting back in the first division, which was two years later, was against Charlton Athletic. And um, I played all 42 league games, had 21 clean sheets, and we went up on goal difference. So in my own head, not that I had to justify it to anybody, anybody who wanted to point a finger a la looting game, I can just turn around and say, well, if it wasn't for me two years later, you wouldn't have gone up because I had 21 clean sheets out of 42 games. Now, we've talked a little bit about the abuse that yeah. uh, you faced. Um Obviously, Britain at the time was a very different Britain yeah, to what it yeah. is now. Um, yeah. Some would say still a lot of work yeah, to be done yeah, as there yeah, is now. But yeah. um, for for you, what, like how how frequent were the incidents? Because you know you note down kind of some very severe yeah. things in the book. Yeah. You know the the, yeah. the incident at Everton, Millwall, yeah. Leeds, yeah. those sorts of places. Yeah. How how often were you facing this sort of abuse? Um, it wasn't every single game, you know, there was always the odd thing said at, at probably every ground. Um, but, you know, the, the, you've mentioned some clubs there which they were difficult to go to, especially some of the London clubs. Um, and for whatever reason, Leeds was always a difficult place to go to. Um, but I always found the racism thing, rightly or wrongly, there were two sides of it. There was the real deep uh, hatred type of racism and then there was the mickey-taking kind. You know, and I remember playing at Leeds and just before uh, the game started, they threw a load of proper bananas on, on the pitch. Um, and yet at the other end, all our City away fans had the inflatable bananas. <laughs> so it was quite ironic that I'm thinking to myself, hang on, mate, we got the inflatable ones down there. So, you know, I, you just had to get on with it. And I think I've since found since doing the book, the inflatable bananas were based from Imre Varadi. I don't know the full story, but it was something to do with Imre Verardi, why we had ended up having the inflatable uh, bananas. Yeah, I mean, when you when you talk, I mean, the the incident at Everton yeah. with uh, yeah. the, a fan yeah. created an effigy yeah. of, a, yeah. of a burning cross. Yeah. Um, you expect to kind of get support from your teammates as well. Yeah, as I said earlier, I think the biggest change today is the attitude of our own players. Um, you know, even. 
going back way back when at City, you know, there'd be an odd joke said within our own City players. And rightly or wrongly, was just touted as the norm, which wrongly it is today. And it wouldn't happen today due to safeguarding rules, regulations. Uh, Premier League have just brought out a new kite mark uh, around equality and diversity, which um, I believe we've just applied for as a club. So... I don't think it would happen today, and I think that's the biggest change. I think the other change is there's lots of black and ethnic players playing within most teams now. So, in some ways, as a, a home fan, how can you ridicule uh, an away player for their ethnicity when you've got the same players potentially playing in your own team? So, I think that's helped to nullify a little bit of it. But I do think this country is one of the better ones uh, combating racism. You know, you look at some of the Eastern European countries and things are still very, very bad. Yeah, I was going to say, when you see things like like incidents in yeah. the Champions League and yeah. the Europa League yeah. and the punishments that are handed yeah. out, it, it, it's not enough, is it? No, it's farcical and that's probably why it still continues today. You know, they need to do something really drastic about it. And until they do that, it's going to be difficult to go away. Um, we have education programmes within City in the community, which we go out as part of the Northern for Racism uh, Premier League campaign. Um, there's organisations like Kick It Out, Third, Show Racing Red Card, uh, and we're all doing our little bit. And the hope is maybe the kids of today will grow up and have their own kids in time, and things will be better. But I've been involved with football for nearly fifty years now, and it's it's changed, but not much. Yeah. Did you did you feel when you were coming through at City that you had to work harder than white colleagues? Um. I didn't feel that way at City because City today and was has always been a very inclusive club. You know, uh, I think Stan Horn was one of the first mixed race short black players to to play for the club, and then you had people like Roger Palmer, Dave Bennett, etc., etc. Um, I think Tony Whelan was there for a short while as a youngster before he went across to United. So, and the fact we were in the heart of Moss Side, I, I think that helped as well. Um, you know, but I, I don't think I had to try any harder because. I always tried quite hard anyway, um, you know, and I do see on the odd occasion if somebody said something and wound me up, it did push me that little bit further to try and make sure I didn't let a ball in or let a goal in, or, you know, but sometimes you can't help it. But um, I was always around my maximum effort anyway. You mentioned your injury before yeah. and um, uh, kind of it, it bringing an end to your, your career. Um how how long had you been playing with that injury? You, you had a slip disc in your back. Good question. Yeah, I had a. I was playing for it for about three or four months. To be honest, uh, I remember playing a game down away at Southampton, which was probably my second or third last game I ever played. And in the old days of the the Dell, I think it was called. You, you came out virtually level with the goal at one end, and I had to jog. I won't say run because I didn't run. I had to jog right to the other end. And I almost didn't get there. I was that bad. You know, I couldn't kick the ball. Because every time I tried to kick the ball on my right foot, I was in agony at the base of my spine. So that's obviously where the disc was trapped. Um, but I got through the game. We got beat 3-0. Um, and I knew I was serious then. And then, of course, my last game was the United game at home, where, again, we lost 3-0. And, um, you know, I was training, I think, the following day. And the whole of my right leg was numb and I got out of the bath thinking oh it's just a cold day I'll be all right and then I was virtually dragging my right leg and I knew then something serious had happened. 
is it is there a, a kind of worry? I, I don't know if it's an irrational worry or not, but is there a worry that if you say something about it, then you lose your place and then you're never going to get back in the team? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to lose my place. Um, you know, and <laughs> I always thought some players who were in and out of the team every week because they were injured, and I thought, God, he's a bit soft to myself. Um, but they probably end up having a full playing career, uh, and I didn't. So I, I rue that myself, but... To be fair, it was 40 years ago now, if not just a little bit longer, and um, probably the technology and the surgery skills they had in those days would not have prevented uh, me from um, carry, you know, carrying on, um, whereas today there's all sorts of keyhole surgery and things they can do. Um, but it, listen, it just is what it was, and it paved the way in some ways for my second career, which of course was uh, working in the community. What was it like um, that meeting with Peter Swales when the club were basically saying, "We don't think you're going to be fit enough again. We're going to move you on." It was difficult, but I probably knew myself I was never going to play top class football again. I only ever got eighty percent fit, um, so I decided to move to Port Vale for two reasons. Um, one. It was just up the road. I didn't have to move house. You just threw Alderley Edge and through um, this side of Stokes. It was about a 50-minute drive. But the main reason I moved was because they had a physiotherapist who worked at North Staffs Hospital, and he um, specialised in recuperation from spinal injuries. And it was called Martin Copeland. So I thought, well, if I'm ever going to get fit, it's going to be with him because he's got the expertise and the skills to get it as well as it could be. Um, I did a year there and I got it to about 80% fit but it was clear it was never going to get any better than that and I remember playing a game one night at Port Vale the stadium held at the time about 50,000 there was about 5,000 people there it was a horrible winter's night there was hail, sleet, snow and I just looked around the stadium and I just thought what am I doing here and I went to see John Rodge the next day and just told him uh, I'd had enough I'm I'm not being fair to um, the fans, I'm not being fair to the players, and as important, I'm not being fair to myself. Yeah. Uh, you do, let's talk about um, City in the community a little yeah. bit, because you'd, you'd already been involved with the Junior Blues yeah. while you were at City. So yeah. how, how did you get involved with that, and then latterly City in the community? Um, well, when I broke into the team at City, they had the Junior Blues set up. <laughs> to be fair, looking back on it now, it was a bit of a kiss of death, because I think Dave White at one point was president, and he went to Leeds, I think. Uh, I was the president of Junior Blues and then I got injured and I think Paul Lake was summited. So I do think that had some as a kiss of death, the Junior Blues. But it was great, you know, we um, every month we'd have an event at the old social club next to the um, stadium. Uh, and then once a year we had a big Christmas panto, which all the players got involved with. And I recently did an interview with a young lad who was doing a dissertation at university. And he says, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember you. So I said, yeah, I mean, yeah. I said, uh, yeah, I was at the Junior Blues, one Christmas panto, and you were the back end of a horse. <laughs> you know, here's me thinking, yeah, I remember that great game at Tottenham or whatever, whatever. And, uh, oh, right, OK. <laughs> So how, how did City in the Community come about? Because obviously you've been at Port Vale um, yeah. and then uh, you got the invitation to come and I did, yeah. Apply. City had just started their community scheme about the same time that I called Kevin Glendon. So I did a year at Port Vale and then Kevin Glendon went on to manage Radcliffe Borough Football Club, which at the time I think was owned and run by the two Mannings, Bernard Manning and his son. Um, so then the club advertised and I interviewed for the, the job at City in the Community 
Um, to be fair, I think Bernard was always going to give me the job. He said I would be the ideal person. So, you know, I went back there in '86 and uh, been there ever since. Yeah. Now, final question: What was it like the moment you were told that you were going to be handing the trophy over to Wilkai Gundogan last season? Uh, it was amazing. Um, I was most proud the fact that the club acknowledged the service I put in and um, allowed me or requested that I would be the person they would want to, to give the trophy over. And it was brilliant. Um, you know, just being on the stage there, handing the trophy over to Ilkay. And I was fortunate enough to also physically put the, the medal around early Harland, who last season was a revelation. Um, but it was great. It's got me a lot of publicity on social media and you know everywhere I go now people go oh that's that lad who give the trophy away or you know the, the the lad who was on the side of the pitch recently blah 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 you know and oh he's got the blue pitch so uh, I've never been so famous. <laughs> are, you, are you proud of what you've achieved? I'm proud but I'm proud of the fact that it's a team effort we've had a great community scheme over the years I never like to take personal or single uh, accolades it's, it's always a team effort and um, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is everywhere we go with CITC all the staff somebody will say oh you go to our school or you've done this or you've changed my son or daughter's life etc and that's what I'm proudest of not me personally I don't need the accolade although it is nice to get them if you enjoy the show please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts That was the former City goalkeeper Alex Williams. Alex's book, You Saw Me Standing Alone, is out now and you can pick it up from alexwilliamsbook.co.uk. There's also a full-length version of that interview available for Patreon backers out now too. Just head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Podcast. And that's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. There's a clip of this week's Patreon bonus episode coming up shortly. That's a City Heaven, City Hell episode focusing on games with Sheffield Wednesday. I'll be back next week after the games with West Ham and Red Star Belgrade. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. The City goalkeeper that uh, got beaten in this game uh, was Nicky Weaver, who obviously a massive Sheffield Wednesday fan, came back and, and played for the club. Were you there when he when he uh, against Chesterfield when he scored the winning penalty? Uh, I was there in, in that game. I thought that game was never going to end. There's one that's, uh, that's quite famous, you know, Kevin Pressman scored against Wolves. And I, I think Nicky Weaver was trying to emulate that one. It was uh, it was one hell of a penalty that and. Uh, yeah, probably one that he's gonna he's gonna remember for a, for a lifetime. Nicky Weaver as well. What what a guy he is. He's uh, he's still at the club now. This was Weaver's last season at City as well. Um, and genuinely, I think he might be the last player when he left. I was I was absolutely gutted. It felt a bit of a shame the way he did leave as well. It wasn't really helpful for Weaver that they you know Joe Hart and Casper Schmeichel were both knocking around in like the reserves and youth teams and. You know, two guys who've gone on to have pretty good careers. You know, Nicky Weaver at this point was playing with like the. He had a dead man's knee in his leg. This did sort of feel a little bit like like bonus time for Nicky Weaver, like a bit of an encore. And it would have been great if it, it had a proper send-off. It having 
the club didn't handle that well, but the club didn't really handle anything well at this point whatsoever. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode. Yeah.